Good afternoon, Dr. Dang Ware, Authentic Biochemistry Studio. Today is the 3rd of January, 2022, and we've been following along with the reward pathway, and I discussed addiction, and then the last episode was more specifically about the central and peripheral nervous systems. And of course, the reward pathway links up the CNS with the PNS. And components of this are related to the acquisition of reward. And the acquisition of reward is going to involve motor neurons. And we kind of started that off yesterday, but now I want to uh, spend this half hour discussing it in more detail. Perhaps we'll get to some motor neuron diseases. In fact, I'm sure we will. So again, Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry, and I'm glad to be able to present this to you today. So first of all, motor function. Motor function, of course, is going to require a discrete cellular and neuronal interaction among the basal ganglia, the cerebellum, and of course, the cortex. It's transmitted from the primary motor cortex down the cortical spinal tract. It decussates in the medullary pyramids and travels down the spinal cord to control all the muscles on the contralateral side of the body. Motor function, of course, is involved in the control of distal muscles of the arms, wrists, fingers, lower legs, feet, and toes. These are the muscles capable of fine motor control. So large proximal muscle groups and axial muscles for posture and balance, vestibulospinal, reticulospinal, tectospinal tracts are all extrapyramidal tracts. The motor tracts are descending from the brain, synapse, on motor neurons that lie on the anterior horn of the spinal cord. And they project, of course, those to the skeletal muscles. Motor neurons travel from the anterior horn of the spinal cord through the ventral root within the spinal and peripheral nerves and ultimately innervate uh, those target muscles. Alpha motor neurons release acetylcholine to contract all fibers in the muscle unit. Gamma motor neurons contract muscle fibers within the muscle spindle, and they basically regulate sensitivity. Motor activity itself, we think about the spine and spinal reflexes. Motor activity is pre-programmed into neuronal connections within the spinal cord. It'll, this uh, anatomical arrangement would, of course, allow sensory information to generate a reaction in the spinal column without going directly to the central nervous system, to the brain. Now, the stretch reflex that tests reflex arc between sensory muscle spindles and alpha motor neurons. Whereas the withdrawal reflex is a protective mechanism that allows withdrawal of a body part from some kind of 
physiological or perhaps chemical threat while maintaining, of course, absolute balance. So it gives you kind of a overview. I guess I could t tell you that the central control of motor function, this is the cortical spinal tract neurons, and they originate in the primary motor cortex. And they're arranged according to the motor homunculus map. So planning and execution of movements are accomplished through those neuronal circuits between the basal ganglia and, of course, the motor cortex. So the cerebellum contributes primarily in the learning phase of motor skill. Think, for example, of learning how to use a chainsaw, okay? So then you have consciousness, memory, and sleep. And this is moving away from the motor neurons, but I just want to make sure that you, you are aware, pun intended, that consciousness is, of course, defined as the awareness of surroundings and of one's thoughts and sensations in three-dimensional space, often associated with motor neuronal skill. You have alpha waves, which reflect search and retrieval functions. And you, of course, have theta waves, which are associated with memory encoding tasks. This could be, for example, like playing the piano, the violin. So thoughts and memories are the outcome of activation potentials of the neurons in the entire neuronal circuit, but they are not stored in any one location. And indeed, that's how the motor neurons are associated with that capacity. So let's move into looking at the motor neuronal lipidome. Remember, I'm a lipid biochemist, so you're going to get a lot of lipids if you listen long enough. So with that, um, I usually talk about some kind of pathology. So let's talk about motor neuron diseases. Those are called MNDs, of course. And they are a group of very unfortunately, typically incurable neurological disorders. And they're caused by the selective degeneration of motor neurons, ones we just talked about. So a very common MND in humans is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, named after the baseball player, Lou Gehrig, which was, uh, oh, in the first half of the last century. Now, ALS is probably still the most recognized and representative MND among adult humans. And it has an incidence rate. It's actually, it'll sound really low, about two to three per 100,000. And what it's characterized as is a progressive muscle weakness and then atrophy as it pro progresses, a loss of upper and lower motor neurons via necrosis. Uh, and then three to five years later after diagnosis, basically you have a complete degeneration, which can occur in the most severe amplified cases of ALS. Majority of the patients are of a sporadic origin with unclear etiopathology. And there are actually several mutations that are associated with ALS, not just one or two. 
in particular in genes encoding superoxide dismutase 1 or SOD1 and a, something called the TAR DNA binding protein of 43 kilodaltons. That's TDP43. Also, you get fused in sarcoma, FUS, and chromosome 9 open reading frame 72. That's C9ORF72. <clears throat> These have other genetic names, but I'm giving you the canonical uh, names that were where it was first described. So there are several transgenic mouse models where they overexpress various mutant forms of those genes. And the SOD1 model is the most common one used to study ALS. It overexpresses a mutated form of SOD1. And in fact, it's that's the most often uh, model organism that's studied for ALS in terms of pharmaceutical intervention and surgery. So spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA, is a genetic autosomal and, and recessive neuromuscular disease. It's actually caused by a loss of functional survival motor neuron gene 1. That's SMN1. Patients suffer in, under that disease a context from a degeneration of spinal motor neurons, which results in muscle weakness leading again to atrophy. And the disease severity of SMA ranges from severe with death of patients, unfortunately, before the age of 10, well before puberty, to mild to moderate symptoms with no real effect on life expectancy. They can live, threat, they can live and, uh, have, and have a reproductive life. So spinal bulbar muscular atrophy, yet another, SBMA, which is also known as Kennedy's disease, that's correct, is a, an X-linked recessive disease. And it's caused by a repeat of three nucleotides, CAG, and that expands into a gene coding region for typically the androgen receptor, and that leads, of course, to a poly-Q repeat expansion in the protein. And that's where you get that specific SBMA phenotype, that is, biochemical phenotype. So the disease affects mainly males, even though it has been described in female patients in SBM, as SBMA. And it, of course, is characterized, once again, by progressive muscle atrophy and degeneration of lower motor neurons associated in the brain stem and, of course, in the spinal cord. Now, along with neuronal degeneration, several alterations of lipid metabolism within those neurons and, uh, and cells associated with the neural complex are, are found in these various MNDs. The role of lipids in NMDs include bioenergetics, so that would be beta-oxidation of fatty acids most commonly, cell signaling, this could include the anastol phosphate cascade, but also many of the diacylglycerol-associated protein kinase uh, signaling domains. And you get a structure that suggests that targeting lipid metabolism could be possible for discovering therapies, pharmacotherapies 
for the management of MNDs because you see lipid metabolism being corrupted. Now, again, lipid dysfunction in MMD, MNDs, basal metabolism, are usually, ALS patients are often hypermetabolic. You also get uh, basically high carbohydrate with low fat intake increases ALS onset. High pre-diagnostic body fat is associated with a decreased risk of ALS, at least ALS mortality. And then there is various discussions in the literature on lipoproteins. For example, high LDL to HDL ratio correlates to a longer survival with ALS. Hyperlipidemia doesn't correlate at all. Low-level LDL-HDL ratios, that's correct, correlates to respiratory dysfunction in ALS. A lower BMI will correlate, however, to faster decline. And overall poor nutritional status is associated with higher mortality. Now, this could be uh, due to a lot of other things, not just simply with lipid metabolism. So you get the idea where this is kind of all over the map. In fact, here's one more. High subcutaneous fat positively correlates to survival. Okay. So often the diseases with motor neurons are not having the same phenotype with lipid, particularly the obesity profile that you get with metabolic disease, cardiovascular diseases, and cancers. So they're antithetical to those kind of basal uh, pathobiochemical phenotypes, okay? So that's curious. And it also allows us to uh, examine them and do compare and contrast relationships. Again, this can be done in animal models. Now, I told you one of the major ALS models is the SOD1 gene mutation. There's various mutations that have been studied, the G93A, the G86R, um, those are the two most common mouse models we have. And when you study some of these, you see a dramatic defect in energy homeostasis with the SOD1 gene mutation. You do get hypermetabolism. The hypermetabolism is associated with muscular uh, cellular mass. Um, high fat diet delays disease onset and extends survival. And indeed, ketogenic diet protects against motor neuronal death in some of those SOD1 mutant mouse models. Okay. Uh, one more, I guess I could say. Hypolipidemia is present in pre-symptomatic stages of the disease when you have a, the SOD1 G93A mouse mutant model. So you can see that, again, there's some interesting stuff here. So... What you want to know to understand how lipids are related to uh, muscular uh, neuronal diseases, <clears throat> degenerative type diseases, you have to know how lipids are transported and then ultimately how they're manifested in membranes. Obviously, this is going to play a very significant role in disease progression if indeed lipids play that kind of major role, and I can tell you they do. So remember from lectures now about four or five months ago, 
I told you there's a cup-shaped lipoprotein structure in certain membranes that's called a porosome. And the porosome is actually a universal secretory portal. And it's again at the cell plasma membrane. And it is where secretory vesicles transiently dock and then ultimately fuse to release, that's correct, intravesicular contents. Okay. So basically what happens is the synaptic vesicle fusion occurs at the base of the porosome. That can lead to neurotransmitter release at the nerve terminal. Okay, now there are multiple proteins associated with this process. NSF, T-snare, and V-snare are three. Okay. So they are all necessary in, in certain uh, stoichiometric ratios, those three polypeptides, to generate a circular array within the porosome that generates a channel. And that circular array of those proteins embedded within the membrane lipid brings the opposing lipid bilayers within a very close proximity to about three angstrom. Now, if that T to V snare channel ratio is altered, you will change the concentration of calcium influx. And the hydrated calcium ion, if you manipulate that ratio too much between those two snare proteins, hydrated calcium ions will lose that hydration and that break then causes a bridging with the opposing, a direct bridging of the protein to the phospholipid head group. And that ultimately results in the lipid aqueous mixing and an establishment of the conducting TV snare channel. You also, of course, have an association with this, these secretory vesicles, and a buildup of intravesicular pressure will pump out the vesicular contents through that snare channel we just, we just formed. And you can see this as a, an opening of the porosome when you study it uh, under electron microscopy. Okay? So it's a lot of detail, but I want you to understand this because this is authentic biochemistry. Now, there are over 10,000 different molecular lipid species present in the porosome. That's right. I said 10,000. That's right. We're not, we're not at the level of amino acids, nucleic acids, or carbohydrates here, even all the anomers of carbohydrates. Remember lipid species because there are multiple sites for fatty acid association, covalent attachment to either glycerol lipids or sphingolipids, right? And some of these can be N-linked. So you have multiple different types of fatty acids in various linkages. And then the lipid itself can have various polar or nonpolar head groups. And these can be modified according to enzymatic activation because of signal transduction. So you have a dynamic event ontology 
of altering lipid species during that porosomal activity. And the porosomal activity is associated with laying down the appropriate membrane lipids, which will then function to carry out motor neuron capacity. So any alteration in the layering of those lipid bilayers will alter the protein-lipid interaction, will corrupt the porosomal integration into the membrane, thus resulting in poor motor neuron firing. Indeed, lipids are a major class of organic compounds that are necessary for this structure-function relationship in motor neurons. And you go from cell signaling to ion channel functioning to subcellular compartmentalization and membrane fission and fusion reactions, all of which are linked to motor neuronal activity. And indeed, that cup-shaped lipoprotein structure, the porosome, are present in plasma membranes often. And this is the location or locus where secretory vesicles transiently dock and fuse. And so again, this has to do with vesicular import and export, okay? And indeed the fusion of the membrane bound secretory vesicle to the porosomal base is mediated by calcium, that hydration of calcium we just talked about. And it works with a specialized set of these snare proteins and they were first described is N-ethylmalamide-sensitive factor attachment protein receptors. That's what they were described at in the literature. Okay? So in neurons, for example, the target membrane protein called SNAP25 and syntaxin-1-alpha is called the T-snare complex. And it's present at the base of those neuronal motor neuronal porosomes and a synaptic, not just motor neuronal, but the ones we're speaking of now, and a synaptic vesicle-associated membrane protein called V-snare finishes that protein-lipid complex, all of which results in a conserved protein-lipid motor complex involved in the membrane fusion and the dynamics of neurotransmission within that cellular system, okay? A um, little bit more detail about uh, neuronal porosomes. They're about 15 nanometers in width, and they're present, again, in presynaptic membranes. And along with those 10,000 molecular species of lipid, there's some 40 different proteins. Some of those are the snares and snaps we've been talking about. But again, there are also a whole constellation of ion channels, calcium channels, and uh, including calcium channels, calcium channels, sodium channels, and of course, GTP binding G proteins. And these would be of the GA naught variety. Okay. So once again, you get the idea about the complexity here. And this is all linking to what's known as the synaptosome complex. And the synaptosome complex generates the neuronal porosome for its extracellular, intracellular 
uh, bivalent facing capacity, okay? And this actually involves the relocation of two really important glycerolipids, phosphatidylcholine and phosphatidylserine within the plasma membrane. This has been studied to some extent looking at these synaptic vesicles. So again, I want you, I want you to understand there's a great deal of detail here. Um, you know, you can do lipid compositional analyses. And these kind of like when you look at amino acid composition or nucleic acid composition, um, it doesn't tell you as much as sequence. But we do not have yet in lipid biochemistry a, an appropriate way to sequence the various lipid molecular species in a membrane according to any of the possible cardinal spatial orientations. So we would like very much to know if there are ceramides and ceramide phosphates and lysophosphatylcholines and lysophosphatylethanolamines or phosphatidylinositols that are discreetly sequentially organized within even these particularly well-described and known um, porosomal membrane complexes, but we just don't have the detail of sequence. So we talk about composition, right? And we can see that there's a great deal of compositional difference between different kinds of porosomal complexes as it relates to the porosome sensus strictu and also to the synaptosome, right? So when you see huge compositional changes in lipids, those 10,000 different molecular species uh, are a part of that complexity, then you know that there's going to be a functional relationship there. And that's the, that's the key to, to really, that I want you to understand about lipids. Lipids provide all of this tremendous plenum of alteration of function because of the structural modifications that given membrane lipids can um, instantiate once they are localized into specific submembrane complexes. Okay. So I think I have time to just mention one other thing about this whole process uh, before we call it uh, a lecture. Yeah, I think we do. And I'm doing this because I want to give you this more detail here, right? Uh, the detail then will lead us into you understanding much more about motor neuron diseases, right? Because this is really a key function to understand ultimately moving up one level, right? The big level we've been talking about, which is, again, affective, assimilative, um, reward pathway, right? That whole process involves the a correct functioning of motor neurons to generate the appetitive phase and the searching and location phase that are all wind up, wound up on all of that neural circuitry we talked about just yesterday, okay? So here's the one final thing to consider for today. There are glia, which are associated with these neurons. And then within the glia, there are glial lipid, lipid droplets. And within those lipid droplets, you find reactive oxygen associated with mitochondria within those glia. And this all promotes, that's right, neurodegeneration, of course, because reactive oxygen. So you know that ROS 
and mitochondrial defects in neurons are implicated in motor neuron degenerative diseases. You know that's the case. A key consequence of ROS and neuronal mitochondrial dysfunction is accumulation uh, as studied by microscopy in the animal models and accumulation of lipid droplets in the glia, not in the neuron, the associated glia. So in Drosophila, which was this was first studied at, ROS triggers a C-Jun N-terminal kinase, that's the junk kinase, and a sterile regulatory element binding protein, it's an SREBP, we've talked about the transcription factor, activity in neurons leading to um, a lipid droplet accumulation in the glia prior to the onset of motor neurodegeneration. The accumulated lipids themselves become peroxidated in the presence of reactive oxygen. And then what this leads to ultimately is uh, an examination of how much lipid droplet has to accumulate to generate this uh, neurological degeneration associated with motor neurons, because there obviously is going to be some threshold that's necessary. So studies have been conducted in the animal models to look at the various increases and decreases in lipid droplets in glia, because this is going to be an indirect method to understand the potential redox state of those uh, uh, lipid droplets and that involves then, of course, the production or the um, removal of reactive oxygen. And this, again, is a direct linkage to the motor neuron disease. So you see how important these lipids are. And we're not even at the neuron. We're at the glia that, that support the neuron. We'll continue this lecture, I think, uh, next time. Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry Studios, on the 3rd of January, 2022, saying bye for now.